You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. If you don't have a Bible, I invite you to pick one up. should be one on your seat. If there's not one on your seat, then there's one behind you on the seat. And you can turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 is where we will be today. And I just want to uh, thank you, those of you who gave generously uh, to support um, Ashley and Rogan, as they are going through this challenging time with their family, that was so awesome to see uh, so many of you participating in that, and uh, and it's just just great to be a part of a church like that. Uh, if you are visiting, um, which I wasn't able to see everyone, but it looks like we have a few visitors. My name is Benjamin. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, one of the team. I am not it. I am just a part of this great team uh, that is here, and we are going to be. Um, starting a new series next week on Ephesians. I asked Pastor Mark to pray about it and pick a book um, and then divide it up in the sermons that we're going to pick and he picked, uh, or we're going to preach, and he picked Ephesians. And it's called, he titled it, God, the Gospel, and Our Response. So it's a 10-part series starting next week, and I'm excited to see what God has to say to us through that. Before we get into God's Word, let's just pray that he would help us. Lord, Well, it's dark, and the sun has gone away, and it seems like fall um, and the winter are soon going to be upon us, Lord. And for many, that is hard, especially when we live here in Gravenhurst, um, where the winters are long. Lord, would you, um, in this time of COVID, as we head into another winter with COVID, would you give us hope, Lord? Would you give us uh, your Holy Spirit that we would uh, not... Uh, succumb to the darkness and the coldness, but that we would shine bright, uh, Lord, that we would be a different kind of people. Uh, Lord, I need your help because I'm a simple guy and I uh, have a message that I want to speak to your church and I really need your help with that. So would you help me and would you open the hearts of your people and speak to them in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was 26, I started to read a book And if you had known me at 26, you would have said, wow, that's quite an accomplishment, Ben, because I didn't read many books. But I started to read a book, and this was a book about history, a history book. And it was a a book about the history of a people, a group of people, a people that was unlike any group of people I had ever seen. They were different. They lived differently. They were not defined by a race. They were not defined by class or geography. Uh, They were different than all the people in the entire world. And as I read the history of these people, I was taken back by them uh, because I had never really met anyone like them. I had uh, heard about them before, and I had met some people that would say they came from the lineage of these people, but I, I can't say as I had ever actually met one for myself. I read uh, that they were a people unlike any of this world because they were not of this world world. They started out fearful. 
Uh, They were an outcast bunch who hid. And then something tremendous happened to this group of people. They gained great power that they didn't have before. Uh, They had the power of speech. And through the speech, uh, the sermons they would give, the messages they would proclaim, uh, many hearts were moved to them. And their numbers were added to on a daily basis. They gained the power to heal, and heal they did. They did many things that they were not capable of doing on their own. They were given the power not to be intimidated by people, by powerful men and women, to be able to resist the pressure to cave and conform. They were unlike any. They, they cared for each other, like in a way that in first century Rome was not like any did. Uh, young and middle-aged and senior all worked together, a part of a group uh, that was willing to not only just speak great things, but to die for each other. These people did not define themselves by the color of their skin or by their gender or by their political class. They were different. They became they, known at the start as the people of the way. Uh, then they became known as Christians. And collectively, they became known as the church. I was... 26, uh, and then when I read about them, and then I was 27 when I actually set out to try and find them. I wanted to know who this group was and see if there was some of them, that I could be a part of them, a part of this group that I had read about. And I thought, maybe, just maybe, God could do what he did then, here in our country, now. Paul talks about this group. He planted this church in, in a place called Philippi, and, and he was, uh, he was uh, proclaiming to them, as he was going to die, what he wanted of them. And he says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. He says, just one more thing. And now he's in prison and he's writing to them, um, not knowing he's ever going to see them again. And he helped found this church and he, and he has some messages to tell them. And he says, just one more thing. As citizens of heaven, live life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. That's quite a request he made of them. That is his desire for this group of people that he would probably never see again. Somebody asked me last week, how long have you been the pastor here for? I thought about it and six years this past month. Six years is a long time. There's a lot that's happened in six years We are not who we were six years ago when we started out. Um, We are quite different than who we were then. There was about 60 or so of you, some of you, um, not too many when I look out, started that 60 with me six years ago. And many of you have joined throughout the years together as we've walked in faith. The Lord has done much. You've done much 
We've done much ministry together. We've done lots in the community. We've done lots for each other. The Lord is building in people spiritual depth and spiritual maturity that was not there before. God has certainly been changing and working and maturing me as a person. And we should be proud of what God has done in us and through us over the last six years. This town's different than it was in 2015. Hasn't the world changed so much in the last five years? Think about what the world was in 2015 and look at the world today. Just in our town, the face of our town has changed. You know, there's four churches that have closed since I became the pastor here six years ago. Four churches that uh, were Bible-believing churches that are no longer here, no longer open, no longer proclaiming God's word. This country has moved further and further away from God over the last six years, and we have moved closer and closer to God's word. And over the last 19 months, many churches, a ton of them, have struggled to stay open. Many have closed and will never open again in our nation. Yet we have continued to grow as a congregation together in numbers, in in finance, and in maturity most of all. And that is something to celebrate and something to be thankful for those of us that have walked together over the last six years. And we as a congregation are at, you could say, a crossroads. We have some decisions to make, some good decisions to make. See, you hired me as your lead pastor And we've built a team together of staff and volunteers, Uh, but I'm not the church. It's Christ's church, and, and I don't decide what the church does. You're the church of Christ. You are Calvary in Gravenhurst. I'm just a part of it. And someday I will be gone. I won't be here anymore. I won't be the pastor. And many of you will still be a part of this local church. And so we have decisions to make as a congregation, as a church body, of who we're going to be over the next couple of years, because like I said, we're at a crossroads. The question, I guess, is, is not who do we desire to become, it's especially not who do I desire us to become, but the question, I guess, would be is what does God want of us, and do we desire the same thing as he wants of his church? We know who we were six years ago. We know where we are now. But where do we want to go? What does God have to say about it? What is a church, actually? Is it just a building where people come together when they feel like it? Is it a place where people sing hymns or they sing songs? Is it a place where there's stained glass windows and wooden pews or soft, comfy chairs and and clear glass and spotlights? Is it a place where we gather together for social movements, to to feed the poor and to have AA meetings? Is it a a place where we come well-dressed in our Sunday best, or is it a place where we're casual? Is it a place where people dance and speak in tongues, or is it a place where people don't smile and never raise their hands? Is it a place um, of traditional seniors, or is it a place of of trendy uh, young up-and-comers? Is it a place where you hear a sermon or a speech or a motivational, uh, s- motivational words? Is it a place where you have Bible studies? 
Is it a place where you have strawberry socials or, or potluck dinners? Is it a charity? Is it a place where our kids come to get taught about Jesus? What is it? Because over the last 2,000 years, there's been plenty of different uh, examples of what people would say a church is. There's certainly many different kinds of places that would claim to be churches in our country, probably hundreds of very different organizations that would claim to be the church. So there really is only one place we can look to see what a church is supposed to be, and that is in God's Word. I won't make you turn to all these references. I'll just give you a, a quick overview. According to the Bible, the church is not a place. It's a group of people. All the true believers in the world are the church. That's what the Bible says, Matthew 24, verses 31 to 33. All who have received forgiveness for their sins and stepped from the darkness of those sins into the light are the church, John 3, 16 to 21. They are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, uh, people set apart as God's own possession, adopted into his family through his mercy and free gift, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But it's also that big group broken into local groups, local churches, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, who are build themselves, build the, the body on the teachings of Jesus and the apostles and the prophets, Ephesians 2, 20 to 22, who preach the gospel to everyone, who make disciples and who baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28, 19. They are a group of people who devote themselves to God's word, to fellowship, which means each other, uh, to the breaking of bread, which means eating and having communion together, and to prayer, Acts 2.42, who share with each other when each other are in need, Acts 2.45, who worship together corporately in a group, large groups, and in homes, 2.46, who contribute to accomplish the work that God has set out for them, in the gospel, in their local community, Romans 12, 4 to 5, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14, who uh, spur each other on to love and to good works, Hebrews chapter 10, 24, and who don't neglect meeting together as some have done, Hebrews 10, 25, who teach each other, who admonish each other, who sing to God as a group with thankful hearts, Colossians three sixteen who walk together in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, Acts 9, 31. Who watch out for each other, Acts 20, 28. Who submit to each other, Hebrews 13, 7. Who hold each other accountable, Matthew 18, 17. Who bear with each other, forgiving one each other as we hurt each other, Colossians 3, 13 who watch out to make sure that nobody creeps in, bringing divisions and creating obstacles contrary to the doctrine of God, God's word, Romans 16, 17. They are a group of people who love Jesus more than they love the world and the things of this world, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. And I could go on and on. The Bible has so much to say about what the church is. 
And Paul says to the church uh, that, that whether he is able to come or not, he's writing to the Philippians, uh, he says that this is the main thing I want you to get. I want you to be standing firm. I want to hear from prison in Rome as, as the, the message travels along th- through person to person, as, as the, a letter maybe comes once or twice a year. I want to hear from prison that you're standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. One spirit. What spirit? His spirit. The Holy Spirit. By what example? By whose standard? By his example. By his standard. Not in the spirit of man or in the spirit of what the world says the church is or or what some newscast or what some celebrity says, but in what God says. In one accord. An accord is an agreement um, that is unified, that there is unity in, and that there is harmony behind. Uh, that's the reason um, when, when members become, people become members of this church, they sign a covenant. It's, it's essentially saying we are in harmony and we agree upon these main things. And we agree to, to as members, do these things. And then it says, contending together for the faith of the gospel. I didn't write this. Paul wrote this. Contending. That's a strong word. That means to strive in opposition or against difficulties, to struggle, to, to strive in a competition or a race. It's like you're in this thing, and, and it's not just something casual, but you're, you're fighting and you're wrestling and you're struggling against forces that are trying to stop you as well as you are going out and trying to win. It's, it's both. It's defensive and it's offensive. Contending together for the faith of the gospel. I can hear somebody contending with a a little one downstairs. Sounds like they're winning. That's the model. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the model that we've been given. That is the church. It's the model that any group of people who would call themselves Christians, who would come together as a group called the church, are to be, whether Baptist, Presbyterian, uh, Pentecostal, United, Reformed, Arminian, that's what they are called to do. They'll have slight differences, but these are the main thrusts. We aren't there yet as a congregation. We're further ahead than a lot of places. We've come a long way in the last six years, and and we're doing a lot better in many areas than other churches are, but we don't want to just do better. We want to do the best that we can, because that is what God has asked us to do. We want to be all that He wants us to be. So where are we right now? we, We know where we've come from. And we know what we're supposed to be shooting to. Where are, are, where are we right now as a congregation, as a church? And, and now I'm speaking to those really who, who would call themselves uh, members or, or adherents, like this is Calvary, this is my church. Where are we? If you're visiting or you're a new person, don't worry. You're just, you're just trying things out. You're just seeing who we are. But, but I'm talking to those who would call Calvary their own. Their own. Who are we now? Well, we are 
a group of growing believers who are essentially growing into two churches under one banner in one place. Now I know, Gravenhurst is a unique place. It's a very unique place to the rest of our country. It is a place comprised of mainly two um, demographics, two age groups now, now even more so than it was six years ago. There are seniors, a lot of retirees, 60 you know, plus that come here to retire specifically in Gravenhurst. And then there is a new group that is, that is moving into the area, 20s and 30s, who find it too expensive to live down in southern Ontario, who are moving here. And they have young families in their 20s, mid to late 30s. But the town in and of itself is missing that middle generation, that 40s and 50s generation whose, whose kids are mostly grown and they're out of the house and they're in that sort of transition period. That's the town and, and very much so that is very much our church. We are a church of a lot of seniors and now a growing number of people in their 20s and 30s with a few in my generation called Generation X. We are a church also of two desires. Now, now, not everyone fits perfectly into a group, but we're a church of two desires. There is a group uh, who desire to be involved in each other's lives to, to, to the very best that they can live out what the gospel and the word of God says the church is to be, who, who are, want to grow in Christ deep and have authentic relationships, who want to really get to know each other and walk through it because they see how, how important the church is to the Christian life, uh, to those who, who want to uh, make friendships with people of all different uh, ages and, and, and backgrounds in the church, who want to do service, serve in ministry together, who want to outreach to this community, who look and say, ah, it's not just good enough that it's the way it is. We want to impact it for the gospel's sake. Uh, who want to dis- uh, disciple the next generation, who want to pray together, who want to care for those aging in our congregation, who want to support the working generation, the challenges of young families and the busyness of life. We have a group of people who are like that, and they're like involved in four or five, six different ministries. They give a lot of time. They mentor. They serve. And again, I'm not talking about to you if you're just visiting this church. I'm talking about the core group that would come regularly. And then there, there are those who, who, you know, they mainly just come. And, and, and they're not really involved in each other's lives. They don't really want to grow deep with each other. They, they don't really want to walk through life and faith together and be involved in caring for each other. And then the leaders and I, we've been talking about this for a few years have watched this shift into two congregations, almost. And COVID has really brought it out, right? We were growing, and it's a great problem to have. Before COVID, we were growing, and as you know, if you've been coming for more than a few years, we had a building committee, and they were having blueprints drawn up, working with an architect to have an expansion of about 40% more of the building, and they were, had presented a few preliminary things to you, and then COVID happened, and that sort of stopped. Well, um, we would have had to most likely gone to two services anyways, because even when this was full, we were already maxing out in the summers, and now we've had more new people show up in the last year than in the previous five years. And so even if the regulations were to be lifted, we would probably 
have to go to two services anyways. And so COVID forced it because what did it do? It forced us having two services, but one service is, offers children's ministry, this service, and there's always a waiting list for kids to get into uh, nursery and, and to the children's class. It's a great problem to have. And then the other service is mainly where the, the seniors end up because there's just no room in this service for them. And so we fill the upstairs and we fill the downstairs. And it tends to be mostly the seniors at that service. And that is from necessity right now. And if you've gone to a Western church for a couple of years, you know, if you've been to another church, you'd know this is a problem that a lot of churches have. They, they either have one generation, um, or they have a couple, but they're pretty divided. They're not really multi-generation. They're not really involved in each other's lives. They're not really involved in serving. They have that sort of two groups, that minority that do most of the work, most of the ministry, most of the serving, and then the, the broader group that, that is there, but they're not really involved in the church. And the problem with this model is it's not really the model that God gives us. And so we find ourselves in Canadian churches. You've probably been to churches and you're like, oh, it's so frustrating. We can't get enough volunteers to run things. And, and we don't really know each other. And there's so much fakeness and there's smiles, but we don't really know each other. And there's secret sin going on and somebody's life blows up. And, and oh, it's, it's a mess, right? I, I know some of you have talked to me, to me about this before, right? Because we're not really invested in living this thing out called the church it's like a five or six down the line after our other things that are more important to us. And so seldom do you go to a church where it's strong and it's healthy and it's sustainable and it's unified under a single multi-generational body. And so here we find ourselves Often, for even our one service, we don't have enough teachers for Sunday school. Sometimes we have to cancel classes. Uh, we, Jeanette, our awesome uh, secretary, is always scrambling to find people to usher and to be at the welcome desk and to run AV and, and to do the nursery. And to, Mark's always trying to find people to help him disciple the youth. And, and Carla's trying to find people to help uh, make meals. And, you know, and it's this constant problem. And, you know, it's nothing new. This is many churches and so, Gravenhurst is expected to keep growing. That's a great thing to have. They're adding new subdivisions. You know that. New families are going to be moving in. New retirees are going to be moving in. And, and we're just in this place, in this challenge. And there's only really two options to go. If a person wants to go to a Bible-believing church, there's only two Bible-believing churches left in town, Calvary and Gateway. There are other churches, but they don't really believe in the Bible or believe in the gospel or, or believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so people are going to go to one of those two, and we will continue to go more and more of this if we keep on the current trajectory. So there is the approach we're on, and then there is the biblical approach, which is a multi-generational model where everyone 
except for those obviously in extreme situations like illness or disability or, or they have new babies and new families. Everyone serves. Like, that's the biblical model. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Like imagine you were a part of a church where, where seniors are caring for you and young people are caring for you and you're a part of their life and, and you're serving them and there's like this, 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 this giving and taking, giving and taking. Imagine you were a part of that. That's what was so attractive about the church in the first century. People were like, I've never seen anything like this. They actually care for each other. They're actually involved in each other's lives. They actually serve this God together. And so we are at a crossroads. And I can't ask you to do anything. I wouldn't ask you. You have to choose body of Christ, Calvary. You have to decide what do you want to be. What does God want us to be and do we even desire that? Just as, we're, as I'm getting ready to close, just turn to Acts chapter 2 if you don't mind. Acts chapter 2. The scene of Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, is when Jesus um, spends the last little bit of time after he's um, been resurrected and he's come back to life and uh, hundreds of people see him and he goes to the disciples and, and, and spends a couple of weeks with them and, and then they're like scared um, and they're still nervous and, and they go and hide in this upper room. And they're praying for the Holy Spirit, this helper that God promised to come. And the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. And they're no longer the weak men and women that they were before. They're now filled with the Spirit of God. And, and they go out and Peter starts to preach. The first ever sermon ever preached in the New Testament. Peter, the coward, starts to preach it to, to all these people because it's during the, the holidays or there's thousands and thousands of extra people in Jerusalem and he preaches this sermon to them and, and then pick it up in verse 37. It says, when they heard this, the end of the sermon, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified strongly and urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation, so that those who accept his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. They go from about 120 to 3,100 people, okay? And look what happens right after. This is like in the next couple of weeks. Then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Do you see what happened? There's not like a couple of years that kind of just go and they're just kind of floating around. No, they, it's, they come to faith, they come to believe, they join together in church, and then they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's a little different than our model, isn't it? There seems to be this deep desire inside of them that, hey, I'm now a Christian. I'm now a follower of Christ. And so, therefore, I'm going to do this thing that Jesus has asked me to do. I actually want it. I actually desire it. 
to spend time together, to learn God's word together, to live by it, to pray together. I actually desire this. Something you've got to want. That's why I can't ask it. That's why I can't force it. That's why I, I can't be a pastor that says, we're doing this. No, the church has to want it. The church has to desire it. Or, or, or I'll just be pulling, pulling, pulling. And that's not the model. Why did tens of thousands of men sign up in World War I and World War II before the draft even happened? Because there was a desire to serve their country. Why do missionaries uh, for 2,000 years been going to far-off lands to bring the gospel to people that don't have it? Because there's a desire to do it. Why do people adopt a child that is not theirs by blood and devote their life to it? Because there's a desire to love that child. Why do Christians become the church? Because there's a desire to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to each other and to the local community. And that's not a desire that I can put inside of you. Only God can give you that desire. And if that desire isn't there, there's probably something wrong. So the problem in our Western churches is a bunch of people who go to church, who call themselves Christians, actually don't desire to live the way God has told them to live. And so we're at that crossroads that I said. Option one, and and we as the leadership are preparing for either way you choose. Either we continue on the current path and and we become more and more of a younger, uh, one church body that is younger, living life together, um, discipling, investing in each other, spending time with each other. Um, And another that is mainly senior, that is investing in each other, uh, spending time with each other. And, And it continues to widen. And we, you know, split the resources and the energy and the strengths into partially uh, like chaplaincy ministry for those uh, seniors and then others' um, resources, investing in discipling those families and helping them disciple their children. That's option one. That's the keep going the way we are route. And option two is all the members and all those who would call themselves, this is my church. Again, I'm not talking to you if, you're, if you wouldn't say this is your church family, but all those who call Calvary get in to the ministry, to each other, to the one another. Everyone commits to getting good at one thing, one thing. Serve once or twice a month, one area. It's like, that's mine, and I'm going to do the best I can. Sometimes I'm, I look at some of our volunteers, and they're involved in like four, five, six different things, and I'm like, they're scrambling around, and they're not able to give their full to one thing because they're doing so many different things. But if everyone got good at doing one thing and gave a little bit of time every month, one or two hours a month, everyone could do really good work, right? And, and pe- a certain group wouldn't be scrambling around to fill the nursery, to disciple the children, to greet at the welcome desk, to usher and show people their seats, to run the AV, to, to help with the counting downstairs, to serve on the worship, to help with the teardown and setup, to 
make meals for people when they need it, all the different areas. And, and then the discipling, that's, I'm not even talking about the small group leading and the being a deacon or being an elder or the, the mentoring that goes along outside of the Sunday. I'm just talking about the Sunday. If everyone got good at one thing and served a couple times a month, we would be able to move forward. With what? Well, if we were in two services, we could have two identical services. So there's no more younger congregation and senior congregation. We can start to build deep relationships, and and the mask will come off someday, and we'll be there getting to know each other. We could start to intentionally invest in people's lives that don't look exactly the same as us and aren't exactly in the same age category. So the question is, and this is not a guilt trip, this is not, I do not want you to serve if you feel guilty. That's the last thing I want. Really, I just want Calvary to be a place, the core members, the core believers, those who are are doing really, they are the church, who are outreaching. I just want them to be people who desire to because they love Jesus Christ and they love his church. So the question is, is what kind of church do you want to be? And you have to be fine with whatever you choose. Someday I will be gone. I won't be the pastor here anymore. And it has always been my desire that Calvary becomes a place that I could step out and it keeps on functioning. Why? Because it's run by the members. I'm just a guy helping to equip the saints, but it's really the people of Calvary. That has always been my desire, never to be a church that is built around a pastor that just comes apart when I leave. That is my hope for you, that you come together on one accord and are one spirit, and you contend for the faith in Muskoka and Gravenhurst because you desire to. And that's not the norm, but it doesn't mean we have to be part of what is normal. So, to everyone who is a member and who regularly attends, the question, who do you want to be? Which route do you want to go? Because I believe you are here for a reason. I believe God placed you here for a reason. Sometimes we look and we say, I can't do that. I can't. We need this and we need that. No, no, no. God will put the people he needs to do the ministry in the church. I believe that. It's just sometimes you don't know you have what it takes. Reminds me of a story I heard of Dr. Helena Rosen. She was a missionary to Congo. And she tells this story. A mother at our mission station uh, died after giving birth to a premature baby. This is back in the, the first or the second half of the 20th century. We tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was far beyond repair. So we asked the children to pray for the baby and her sister. One of the girls responded, Dear God, Please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late because by then the baby will have died. And dear Lord, send a doll for her sister so she won't feel so lonely. That afternoon, a large package arrived from England. The children watched eagerly as we opened it. Much to their surprise, under the clothing was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who had prayed earnestly started to dig deeper, explaining, if God sent it, then he will also have sent the doll. She was right. 
Our Heavenly Father knew in advance the child's sincere request. And five months earlier, he had led some ladies in a group to include both of those specific items in the package. Five months earlier. See, God has strategically placed the people he needs in his local church to do the mission which he desires to do. It's whether the people he has strategically placed desire to do it or not. I dream and desire a church that is full in its prayer meetings. That the people, like when Peter in Acts chapter 12 got thrown in jail, you know what the people were doing? It tells us in verse 12. As soon as Peter realized this, an angel helped him to get out of prison, uh, he went to where they had assembled and were praying. There was a group of people praying. I desire Calvary to be a praying people who are, as the world spins more and more out of control, which we know it's going to, you are becoming closer and closer and closer together. Whereas the world uh, moves further into whatever feels good, whatever is good to you, do it. We move closer and closer into whatever God says is good for us. And so that is my call for you to think about members and those who would call themselves regular attenders. And if you are a part of that, and you would have gotten a package when you came in, if you're a member or you serve in some way in the church, because that's really the only way we know who are the people that are really invested is is they're either members or they serve. You'd have gotten a package. And in it, there's a little bit more detailed letter from me, as well as a list of the places that we, we need volunteers to even do one service. But also what we would need to do two services, identical. And there is a membership covenant. Because maybe some of you who are a part of this church aren't members, And the members are the ones who make the big decisions. And we've got some exciting big decisions to make, like some exciting stuff. And we're having a special members meeting October 16th, that's two Sundays from now, to discuss where it is you want to go. The building committee is going to give you a presentation of some uh, stuff they've been working on for an expansion. We also have some other uh, exciting things to talk about. But we really want to hear from you. Where do you want to go? If you don't want to move forward, all hands on deck approach, then you need to tell us that. So we want you to come to that to dialogue with us. And if you would say, well, I'm really interested in becoming a part of Calvary, and I'm really, this is my home church, I have extra packages for you, and I invite you to come to that meeting, whether you're a member or not, and hear and listen. And if you're at home right now listening to this, somebody's going to drop off a package to you this week if you're a member or a regular attender. So that is the question I pose to you today, church, to think about over the next two weeks, to ask yourself, to examine God's word. And whatever you tell us as your leaders, we will then move forward and prepare for I'm going to invite you to pick up your communion cups. And I'm also going to, I want to involve you. I just feel right now that I'm going to get somebody to pray who wouldn't regularly maybe pray. 
for the communion after I just talked for a minute. So if that's on your heart, I'm going to ask you to put up your hand and I'm going to bring it to you and you can pray because we're all priests. If you're a believer, you're a priest unto the Lord for the communion. I like to look at my wedding ring constantly because it's a reminder. It's a gift that my wife gave to me. It's a reminder and a gift of the covenant that binds her and I. That we are committed for life through hard times, through the times I'm not such a great husband, through challenges with raising kids, uh, through sickness, through the, the great times. We are binded together. It's a gift. And that's what Christ says communion is. It's a reminder of the gift that he gave us. Mark, he tells us in Mark 14, verse 22, he says, as they were eating, they took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And Jesus said, take this, it is my body. Then he took the cup and after it, giving thanks, he gave it to them and they drank it, drank from it. And he said, this is my blood in the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink of it new in the kingdom of God. Why are we doing communion? It is a reminder of the gift that was given to us that we did not earn, that Christ gave to us. It's a constant reminder for you, brother and sister, as you go through this life and you go through this faith and you, you're let down by human beings and you're, you're disheartened and, you're, and your body gets uh, older and, and things don't work the way they used to. So you have a promise that Christ has defeated death and you have a place for you in heaven. But not only that, that he is with you here on this earth. What a great reminder. And so on that note, do I have somebody that feels moved to pray and thank God for what he has done? Just raise your hand and I'll bring it to you. Somebody back there. I'll hold my breath. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for what you've done for us, Lord. You've done so much. You've brought us together, Lord, as a family. We were orphans. We were lost. You saved us. You've, uh, your son has protected us from your wrath, Lord, from your just wrath that does have to come to earth. Lord, we... Um, we drink of this cup and we eat of your body, Lord, in knowledge that you've done these things for us, in knowledge of the covenant that you set before us, Lord, the promises you made to us. We're so grateful that you are the same God then as you are today. You bless us so much. You have so much prepared for us. You want us to be involved. 
We are so fortunate that you're not an oppressive God that forces us to do things, but rather gives us the opportunity, Lord, to be part of this great thing that you've done. We thank you, Lord. We ask you to bless this church this day and everybody who's involved in it, Lord. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's take the bread together. Let's remember that upon Christ's body was taken the punishment for our sin, and you don't need to be condemned anymore. And then let's peel off the second layer cup that symbolizes the blood that was shed, the perfect blood for our sins, which in God's eyes washes us clean. Like I said, if you feel moved that you want to be at that meeting, I have more packages here. You can just grab one and take one. I pray that you will go out and be a blessing and be the church which God has called you to be. In Jesus' name, amen. See you later. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.